wonderful, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms. Psalm 113. 113. Psalm 113. The songs this evening reminded me of what happened this morning with the tell me the story and, and being reminded of the story. Uh, as I'm sitting there in the morning reading my Bible at the coffee table, Myla comes up. She saw the Bible open. She goes, tell me a story. And at first I thought, oh, I, wanna get, I don't want to read my own Bible. And I thought, ah, oh, better, better teach her something. But uh, praise the Lord that we can share the story. Psalm 113, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raises up the poor out of the, dung, out of, out of the dust, and, lift, and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, <clears throat> that he may set uh, him with princes, even with princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house, and to be joyful, and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word this, this evening, we thank you, Lord, for song reminding us that you are worthy. Lord, we thank you for this soul that was saved this morning. And Lord, I, I can't help but, but say that as we looked out into the, to the congregation this morning, you were dealing with other people as well that needed salvation. I pray that you continue to work in hearts. But Lord, we just come before you this, this evening and just ask God that you'd speak to our hearts through your word. That you would use me, Lord, to deliver a mess, the message you have for, for, for them here today. And you give me clarity of thought to deliver it. Thank, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. A mind-boggling thought to think that God is high above us. And to think about the vastness of God. And it's really, it really is unfathomable. But then also to think that Emmanuel, God with us. We serve a God that is high above, yet, yet is among us. You think about that. High and, and, and magnificent, but yet wants to make himself known to us and wants to intercede, and wants to help us in our daily, in our daily life. And so that's what we're really going to look at here. Uh, above us, yet among us. Clear uh, Creek Resources quotes this. There is an increasing longing within our culture for something beyond ourselves. A spiritual desire for a greatness beyond our own achievement and efforts, and a power that can transform our lives. The human heart yearns for something more uh, something more gracious, uh, glorious, uh, more grand, and more worthy. And I, I, I know what we could say, and we can look in our community today, and, and really in our nation today, and we could know that we could, we, we could ask people, are, are you satisfied? And they'd come out with this question, yes, I'm missing something. Uh, are, by far the people around us, if they're without Christ, they're missing something. Um, C.T. Lewis quotes this, God is both 
farther from us and nearer to us than any other being. So I want to look at those, that, those two thoughts today. We're going to start off by looking at God as transcendent, a transcendent God. Uh, and before we get into our text, I just want to read, and we've, we've sung about it this morning, we've read about it many times. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, I'll read to you. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Right here in this, this verse alone, we see God as Almighty, but we see God also among among us. He's, he, we see words like wonderful. I mean, marvel. that's the thought of marvelous uh, an extra, in an extraordinary sense, a sense that can be hard to comprehend, but yet, counselor, uh, one to, uh, to consult or uh, advise or plan uh, a will for, uh, in a way for our life. And then it says the mighty God. We see God as transcendent and mighty. And then we see the everlasting Father, the, the ancient of days, of times past and times future. Then we see the Prince of Peace, the ruler of peace, that's concerned about our welfare, our welfare and our physical welfare and also our spiritual welfare as well. We serve a God that is far above the human comprehension, but also yet chooses to reveal himself through his word so that we can comprehend him. The transcend, and transcendent God. Look at verse 4. It says this, The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Uh, that word transcendent there, it means to exceed, an exceeding usual limits, surpassing, uh, extending or lying above the limits of ordinary experience and comprehension, exalted. So when I think about God as, as high and lifted up, I think of a couple words. I think of, of a word maybe height. We see that here in verse 4 it says, the Lord is high above. The Lord is high above. And with, with uh, there's an advantage when it comes to being high above. You've got a good view, don't you? you got a, we would say a bird's eye view. And maybe, maybe there's somebody viewing online today, or maybe there's somebody in this room today, and you're just worried about the things to come. Or you're not sure what the future holds. God's got a bird's eye view. And he knows what's taking place, and he knows what's going on. Uh, the, the, <clears throat> the Lord is high above the nations. The Bible says uh, in Psalms 97 and verse 9, For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above the gods, or above all gods. In the scripture, God is referred to most high 40 uh, 48 times, 48 times in the scripture, God is referred to as most high, most high. Many times it's mentioned in there. And God takes importance for us to recognize who he is. Today, I just want to remind you today that, that, that God is, is, is so vast. I, I, know, I know I'm not really teaching you anything new today, but God is just so vast. He's so big. He's so mighty. And sometimes we just need to take some time to dwell on that thought of how, how big he is, how mighty, how strong he is. I also think about depth, uh, as it says here, and his glory above the nations. Uh, God knows the inner workings of the nations. God, God knows what's taking place in our world today. He, he knows uh, the... the He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He, he knows what's taking place. God knows the ones in power. 
Uh, he knows the ones that will try to outlaw the Bible, will try and uh, eliminate the church. God knows uh, the collaboration of nations that will gather together to try and do this. He already knows what's taking place. Uh, God knows the nations that try to lean upon their own wisdom and try to outwit God. God knows the future plan in depth. God knows the, la- the nations that will line up for, for one world order and the ones that are taking, going that way already. The Bible says in Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? And then I think about when I think about a transcendent God, I think about glory. His glory, the Bible says, is, is, is above the heavens in verse 4. It exceeds human comprehension. Humanity has tried hard to, to figure out the things of this life, like the universe. Uh, humanity has, has tried really hard to scratch the surface of the universe, and I think they haven't even done that yet. Uh, they, they've, they've, they've worked hard at to trying to figure out how old the earth is, and they figured out how old these extinct animals are, and, and, and tried to place a human reasoning upon God's creation. They've tried hard to do that, but it's past finding out sometimes. A question is asked in verse 5. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high? It's a rhetorical question, I believe. Uh, who can be compared, in other words, who can be compared to the Lord our God? The answer is no one. There could never a person or thing come close to the comparison of the Lord God Almighty. He is incomparable. He's matchless. You can't compare anything to the Lord our God. Other Bible characters thought the same question. David, for instance, asked this question in Psalms 89 and verse 6. He said, For who in heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto him? After passing through the Red Sea, Moses sang a song, and the lyrics read this in Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, uh, uh, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Isaiah penned this in Isaiah 40, verse 18. To whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The application is this. Does your view of God cause you to say the same thing? You say, of course. Oh, of course. From, from, from a child, I believe that nobody can, can compare to God. And I've just believed that, and I believe it's 100% truth. You can't even come close to God. But if you truly believe it, It will cause you to be in awe of the Lord today and resulting in one thing, worship. Seeing who he is, believing who he is, and saying, whoa, he's amazing. Consider his vastness. I'm giving you a lot of scripture today, but just stay with me. Consider his vastness. Revelation 19 verse 6 says this, And I heard, as it were, a voice of great multitude, and uh, of the voice of many waters, think about that, of many waters, 
And as a voice of, of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We've all been to Niagara Falls, right? I think everybody here has been to Niagara Falls. When you get and you see God's creation and you hear the, 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 the roar of that, of that water, and you think about God and I was, his voice is like many waters. The power of that Niagara Falls and, and, and God's voice ex, exceeds that. Proverbs 30, verse 4 says, For who, has, who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the winds in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? If thou canst tell. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? Think about that. God is so big. So mighty that he measures the water in the hollow of his hand. Let's talk about the, the, the palm of your hand. Not only the palm of your hand, but that little spot in the middle of your hand that, that goes down a little bit. And if you look at your hand right now, a big hand, if you had a big hand, maybe a, a tablespoon or two would fit in your, the, the, the hollow of your hand. But God's hand is so mighty, it's so big, that all the waters, he measures it in the, the hollow of his hand. And meted out the, the heavens with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in a scale, and the hills in a balance. Who had directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor, hath taught, uh, taught him. Isaiah 66, verse 1 Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool, which is the house that ye build unto me. And where is my place of rest? You think about God. I mean, we think about the globe being so big, but to God, it's just a step. That's how big he is. And so I'm really just giving you this scripture this evening to, to just remind you that we serve a, a, a huge God. I mean, that, that really he's so immense. He's so big that we can't fully comprehend it. I mean, we have his word and we can know God through his word, but to understand his vastness. It is, it is past finding out, the Bible says. That being said, we serve a God, secondly, that we serve a, an imminent God. An imminent God. And, and when I say that word imminent, I'm not referring to the thought of could happen at any time. I'm not referring to that. Uh, I'm referring to, as it's spelled, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T. And that, that's referring to um, uh, God as being inherent or indwelling, being within the limits of possible experience or knowledge and choosing to involve himself with creation. So, so we've got a God that's high and mighty, high and lifted up, that we can't comprehend how big he is, but then we've got a God that chooses to indwell and chooses to make himself known and chooses to, to intercede. Are you, are you mind-boggled yet? I mean, are you just, whoa, that God could be that high, but yet cho chooses to say, know our name. Chooses to uh, take our tears and put them in a bottle and count them. <sighs> Past finding out. Here's some scripture on God as being personal. Ezekiel uh, 34 and verse 11 says, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. I will feed my flock. I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. 
Jesus said this in John 15, 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things I have made, uh, that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Jeremiah 23, 24, Can any hide himself in, in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, saith the Lord? We're talking about Christ. We're thinking about when we, we think about Christ. In, in uh, Philippians 2 6, it says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of man. Then it says this, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, unto death, even the death of the cross. You think about that, and it's just like, wow. I mean, you think about Christ dying for us. You can understand it. I mean, you could understand he went to Calvary and he completed the Father's will and full atonement was made and we can receive that and have it today. And we could, I guess, understand that portion of it, but why would he ever do it for me? Let me know when you have an answer. Let me know when, when you can understand the depth of love that the Father had for us. Verse 6, it says this. Who humbled himself to behold the things that are in heaven. I found that interesting. Who humbled himself. God humbled himself to behold or look at the things that are in heaven. I mean, that's how holy and how magnificent God is. Even the affairs of heaven, he had to humble himself to, to, consider, to consider those things. I wonder what, what he was humbling himself to do in heaven. Uh, perhaps... Perhaps maybe when Jesus said, Behold, I go and prepare a place for you. That mansion, whether it be a, a physical mansion or a body that's made new and we have that mansion and it's our body, one or the other. Perhaps God had to humble himself to even think about that. Perhaps God had to humble himself with the welcoming into heaven, the speech that Jesus would give. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant. Great is thy reward. Perhaps he had to humble himself to even think about that. Perhaps uh, God had to humble himself when we get before the throne of God and we take our crown off, all the works that we have done, and we cast it before his throne. Perhaps he had to humble himself for our, our life's endeavors being brought to him. And then it says he humbled himself on earth. We can more understand that. The Lord intercedes for the lowest of low. Look at this verse here. The next verse it says, in verse 7, he, he raises up the poor out of the dust. He is concerned about the, the, the lowest of the lows. He's concerned. God, Jesus Christ, is concerned about the lowest of the lows. The, the poor, the Bible says here, the poor out of the dust. He raises out the poor out of the dust. He's also concerned here, that he, and it goes on to say, he lifteth the needy out of the dunghill. He lifteth the needy out of the dunghill. And we can all say that maybe at one point or another in our life that we have been there. Uh, when you think about, about, he took me out of that miry clay, that verse, and he set my feet upon a rock. You think where God has taken you from We've all been poor. 
We've all been in that place of spiritual bankruptcy. And God said, I'm going to take you up out of that place. I'm going to set your feet upon a rock. This rock is Jesus. And for him to care about that, care about our affairs of this life, should, should really cause a reaction of worship. The needy, the Bible says. Continue reading there. It says, And he lifted the needy out of the dunghill, the impoverished, the destitute. Uh, this, this, the needy out of the dunghill. The Bible almost quotes this in 1 Samuel 2, verse 7, as it says this. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He riseth up the poor out of the dust, and he lifted up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes, to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillar of the Lord, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. Life circumstances God is, God is concerned about. The Bible goes on to say in verse 9, He maketh the barren woman to keep house, and a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. God is concerned about the mother that can't bear children. God's concerned about that. God, God's concerned, and he, and, he, and, he, and he wants to intercede, and He wants to help, even in that area. Our response should be that of David. When David penned in Psalms 8 and verse 3, When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, and the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. We, we, we ought to have that same response. Who am I? I mean, who am I that God would want to help me? So we see God as transcendent, high and above. We, we see God as eminent, wanting to involve himself and dwell in our, in our daily lives. And then we see Jesus. Jesus, a picture, uh, a perfect picture of both. Now go over to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. You can basically wrap everything up, everything that I've set up into a ball at this point and just focus on Jesus, how he perfectly demonstrated both of these characteristics, both of these attributes, even as he was born into this world. Luke 2, and uh, we'll start reading in verse 7. Verse 7 says, She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Just on a side note, that's so sad to me every time I read that. That so many places missed out on having the opportunity of the Savior of the world to be born in their residence. Perhaps they went knocking on the door. This is, you know, maybe it was a comfort inn. Sorry, no room. Best Western down the road there. Sorry, no room. Uh, only to find out later that they missed out on a, on a heavenly orchestra, a heavenly worship time, 
And not only that, that the Savior was born and they're thinking, oh man, why didn't I kick somebody out for him? But there was no room uh, for them in the end. Verse 8 says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you uh, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I'm glad that, that it says all people there, aren't you? I'm glad, it, I'm glad it, God didn't design it in a way where it said some people. All people. This, this, Christ was given for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So we see Christ as, we see God as interceding and bringing Christ into the world and, and him concerned in the indwelling and him being that atoning work and him getting involved with his creation. But then we see uh, in just a verse later that he's just vast and, and, and unfathomable and, and so much higher than we can comprehend. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with a multitude, there was with a multitude of of the heavenly of the sorry and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. Now I just kind of like, try and picture this. I, this it's kind of hard to comprehend here. I know this is a uh, a very common passage of scripture, but but this angel appears and this angel has to tell the people don't be don't be afraid, don't be afraid. You know these people they're seeing maybe a, maybe a, a this this light that they've never seen any sort of light like this before. You know, they're, they're feeling the, this, this presence that they've never felt any, anything like this before. And this, this, this heavenly angel comes in, and they don't know what to think. They just have to say, hey, don't be afraid. I'm not here to cause you any harm. I, you, you know I could destroy you with a snap of my finger, but I'm not there to do that. Don't be afraid. And as, as he's explaining uh, the, the baby and how you're going to find them uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lining in a manger. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with uh, the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Praising God. I, mean, I just kind of imagine it like a, like a portal. Maybe this portal just, just, just came out and bam. Or maybe just in the, the bat of an eye, it was just like, boom, a multitude of heavenly hosts. What was that? What is that? Multitude of heavenly hosts. There was one angel and then, bam, a multitude of heavenly hosts. A lot of commentators believe it was an angelic, an angelic army. A multitude, they say, could, could be up to 10,000. Could you just imagine this? Just this, these mighty angels, bam, just to say, hey, God is high and above. This baby, this, this Christ being born into the world, he is God in the flesh. And, 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 and can you even fathom it? I mean, I could try and tell you about it today. But can you even fathom the vastness of this night when, when this angelic army, if that's what it was, just appears, saying, glory to God in the highest, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. There was a worship service taking place at the birth of Christ. Just to say, hey, he is high above what you could think or what you can imagine, but yet, He's going to be subjected unto man and he's going to die for the sins of the world. So we see both the transcendence of God and the imminence of God at his birth. But then if you just flip over a page, you flip over a page and you flip over 12 years, 
You go to verse 46, we see it even as a child, the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. In verse 46, it says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. So Jesus is now 12 years old. It's his first trip off to the temple. And they went a journey, a day's journey without Jesus. They get to the end of their day and they, they realize, you know, maybe it's time to come in. They, may, they, they pitched up their tent and they're calling for Jesus only to get no response. Oh, we've lost Jesus. They have to go back to Jerusalem and find him. And when they do find him after three days, he's in the, he's in the middle of doctors and he's, and he's hearing them and he's asking them questions. And verse, 40, verse 47 says, And all that heard him were astonished uh, at his understanding and answers. I mean, doctors, professors, uh, seasoned men of the word of God are sitting and, and, and their ears are open to a 12-year-old. How can this be? Because he is transcendent. I mean, he's high above. And, and they, were, they were in awe of what was taking place here. The, the Bible says astonished. It means dumbfounded. To be put out of wits or to be bewitched. His parents had a hard time understanding God's will. In verse 48 it says, And when they saw them, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt, thus, uh, dealt with us? Behold, thy father and, uh, thy, and I have sought thee sorrowing. And then Jesus says this, And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? They, they, and the Bible even says, and they understood not the saying, which he spake unto them. And, and not only that, the Bible says he subjected himself unto them. So we got, as a 12-year-old boy, we've got him way up here doing the father's will, his parents not being able to comprehend it, but then we have him subjecting himself to him. So we see it at his birth. We see it at, at, in his uh, childhood. Then we see it also on the cross as an adult. But before we get to the cross, we, saw it, uh, we see it in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, don't we? Let's go over to Mark. Mark chapter 4. Verse 37. Now the disciples are in the middle of Galilee and a storm occurs. Verse 37 says, And there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was a, in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest, not, carest thou not that we perish? So we've got the Lord God, not affected by what's taking place. This is a, a deadly storm. The ship is full. We've got him not affected and not even phased at the, at the thought of that because he is all sovereign. He's, all in, he's always in control. And then they come to him and they say, don't you care about us, Jesus? We've got a, in other words, here's a prayer request, Lord. Don't you care that we're about to die? And at the same time, he is high and he's, He's lifted up and he's transcendent, but he's imminent and he cares. And all he has to say is this in verse 39, peace be still. 
and the winds and the waves obey him. And then we also see it on the cross. Jesus went to the cross to atone for the sins of the world, and he was actively involving himself with his creation. When Jesus was on the cross, one of the cries of the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So he was concerned about his creation. I mean, those that would backstab him. And those that would, would nail those nails in his hands and in his feet. He, would, he, would be, he was concerned about them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yet, he would cry on the cross, it is finished. And the mighty hand of God would come in and he'd rip the veil in two. The earth would quake. Signify, and, and even the soldier said, surely this, this was the Son of God. He's transcendent. He's imminent. Yet, Christ cared enough about his family. When he said, woman, behold thy son. Then he saith unto his disciple, behold thy mother. There's really only one thought here. Um, if we truly see God as being high and lifted up and magnificent and mighty, but yet willing to come down to where we are, this ought to cause us to bend the knee. This ought to cause us to say, wow, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done, Lord. Thank you for, for, for coming to me. This ought to cause us to be humbled. This ought to cause us to worship. This, this ought to cause us to praise that a God so holy would be concerned about you. That a God so righteous would lay down his life. The Bible teaches that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We, we, there is none righteous, no, not one. We're all condemned. And Jesus Christ came to make a way. He came to forgive us of our sins. But whosoever received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There has to come a time where you say, you know, I realize who I am. I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. I realize who Christ is. He's a Savior. And if I'll receive Christ in faith, I'll become part of his family. So where are you today? Where do you fit in this? In the transcendence of God? Remind yourself on how high and mighty and, and how strong and, 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 and who God is. But remind yourself that he's come, Emmanuel. That is, he is with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the thought that you are mighty and magnificent, but yet there's Jesus, the great intercessor, the, the, the one who has bared the sins of the world on his shoulders and given us hope, given us redemption. I pray, God, maybe there's somebody here today that uh, maybe, maybe they just need to thank you for it, Lord. Maybe they just need to come and be reminded or remind themselves of how vast and how magnificent and how mighty you are. Or maybe they just need to remind themselves who Jesus is. We thank you for this thought. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? The altar is open. If you want to come pray there in your seat or if you want to come up to this altar and just thank God for all that he's done. Perhaps you just want to come and thank God for, for being mighty yet coming down to your level.
If you're not saved, maybe, maybe you'd like to come up and, and get that dealt with. Maybe for a long time you've been wondering about it. You've been wondering about heaven and how to get there and you're not sure. Would you come? Would you come pray? Would have somebody come pray with you? You come as the Lord leads you.